Hey, I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. But four dots in 48 hours? Hmm, you're doing too much. On today's episode, last week, the top six out of more than 100 mayoral candidates sparred in not one, not two, but four debates in two days. You'll get the recap. Also, Toronto has a lot of problems, and one of them is alarmist behavior. You'll learn about the city's current approach to one of the larger encampments in the city. Some folks are saying that Allen Gardens has become unusable. But for who? And for what? Plus, you'll get the story behind a city shelter that's been around for 50 years and was born out of the realization that there were way more shelter beds for men than women in the city of Toronto. All of that coming up on Today in T.O. someone thought it would be a good idea to have four mayoral debates in a span of 48 hours and with only six of the 102 candidates running in the by-election. And technically, only five were at the first one as Mark Saunders skipped it again. So let's break it down in less than 10 minutes, shall we? The first debate last week was at Young People's Theatre where the big topic was the arts. The six frontrunners, minus Saunders, attended this one, and you've got Brad Bradford, who one could argue is an up-and-coming TikTok villain, Josh Matlow, who was apparently an actor this one time, Olivia Chow, a former sculptor, along with Mitzi Hunter and Anna Bailau. All support the arts. Matlow said he would advocate for a federal basic income guarantee for gig workers, while Chow promised to increase the Toronto Arts Council budget by two million bucks a year. The second debate was about housing, and it was at George Brown College. Mark Saunders made it to that one. As you can imagine, all of the candidates promised to make housing more affordable. Brad Bradford will do this by cutting red tape. He says he'll increase supply by unlocking government-owned lands and reducing over-consultation to hold staff accountable. Did he say all of this while looking in a mirror? I'm teasing, but also, Bradford does have a lot of experience as chair of the Housing and Planning Committee and as an urban planner for the city. But when you're also criticizing the city for not building housing fast enough, and like you're the guy on the file... I just want it to make sense is all. Supply is definitely an issue that impacts affordability. Former Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter said she would have the city build homes on land it owns to ensure units are affordable and priced below market. Former Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau said she would prioritize working with nonprofits and stated that in order to increase home ownership in the city, Toronto needs to do three things. Increase supply. We need to work more with our nonprofits, options for homes, habitat for humanity, because there's an income bracket that will need to have access to those organizations. And we need the housing options as well, like what I've done with laneway housing and coach housing and multiplexes housing to give options because, you know, you might not be able to buy the 1.5 million, but maybe getting together with your brother or sister, you might be able to afford the $750,000. I'm sorry, what? Team up with your brother or sister to buy a house as one of three solutions? What if you're an only child? What then? 
And in all seriousness, My Love did release her housing plan where she says she'll invest $5 million into a housing first approach to support vulnerable residents. She promises to set goals to build more modular housing, direct funding to people escaping domestic violence, and shake down the provincial and federal governments to be accountable to residents when it comes to health care and shelter occupancy. But here's something else that made me go, huh? It starts with Olivia Chow. We can do it. It's mixed income housing. You see it all over in St. Lawrence neighborhood, in Bathurst Key neighborhood. It's a beautiful Brad. Mark? Yeah, great. Uh, first off, I'm not moving into a building built by government. Secondly, what is key and critical, Ms. Bylaw is a great magician because what she said, what she said, which is very interesting. So that was Mark Saunders saying he wouldn't live in a house built by the government. And you're involved in the government, yes? I wish moderators would stop and say, hold on, hold on. Could you repeat that? What do you mean you would never live in government housing? Why is it okay for some, but not for you? Tell me more about that. You do realize that in Toronto, nearly 90,000 residents live in public housing. 37% are adults. 25% are seniors. Who can vote? And comments like those are huge red flags for me. The third debate of the day was at the University of Toronto Scarborough campus. The topic was Scarborough issues, and there was a lot of talk about taxes. Toronto's property taxes are some of the lowest in the region. You're paying higher property taxes in Kitchener, Hamilton, Pickering, and London, for example. And yet, when anyone mentions that they will raise Toronto property taxes in order to be the city we want to be and have the things we want and need to have, people act like you just ran over their dog. Olivia Chow said she would raise the land transfer tax on home purchases higher than $2 million in order to fund her planned program to build more rent-controlled and affordable housing. She also said she would use revenue from the tax on vacant homes to support her plans, but uh, that wasn't as lucrative as some had hoped, with just over 2,000 properties declared vacant under the city's new policy introduced earlier this year. Bylaw, Bradford, and Saunders said their annual tax hikes wouldn't exceed the rate of inflation. Hunter is proposing a, quote, progressive property tax structure, meaning households earning less than $80,000 a year would pay less, and half of seniors would pay no property tax at all. Now, Josh Matlow also said he would raise taxes. If we actually look at, at like, for example, 2% on the property tax, what that comes to is $67 per homeowner a year. That's $5.55 per month. That's like a fraction of what most of us pay for, for Netflix, right? Like a sandwich. So in reality, if we do want to improve... Sandwich. A cheap sandwich. some places, yeah. <laughs> but it would be less expensive than the sandwich that Mark had at the Stag and Doe at Doug Ford's party. If you have fear of taxes being raised and two people over there talking about a sandwich, when someone else is talking about people are left with a dollar eighty-one a day, a sandwich happens to be a big deal with all due respect. Okay, 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 okay. First, could someone please call the burn unit, get some aloe for that burn? And second, yes, a sandwich can be a big deal at the end of the day. We're talking about people who own homes in Toronto paying $5 and change a month to have better services and better programs so that people don't need to nickel and dime over a sandwich. That is the point here. 
Now, the fourth and final debate of the week happened at Isabel Bader Theater and was co-hosted by TVO and the Toronto Region Board of Trade. You could tell by this point candidates were working on their tight five or yelling or both. As Ben Spur at the Toronto Star pointed out, with all six top candidates being either sitting councillors or previously holding leadership roles, they could all bear some responsibility for the challenges that the city is currently facing. They won't, but they could. Now, if you live in Toronto, you should have received your voter card in the mail. Election day is Monday, June 26th from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Advanced polls open from June 8th till the 13th from 10 to 7, and you can vote anywhere in the city in the advanced polls. Now, it's only on Election Day that you must vote in your own ward. If you didn't get a voter card in the mail, all you need is a piece of ID, a driver's license, a credit card bank statement, a utility bill with your name and address on it, even a statement of direct deposit from ODSP, for example. Now, if you're unhoused, you can absolutely still vote in the ward where you eat or sleep the most. In this case, all you need to do is tell staff at your voting location. You'll fill out a form called the Voters List Amendment Application, and you're good to go. Now, if you're staying at a shelter, you could always request a letter from them to bring to speed up the process, but it's not mandatory. Coming up, you'll learn about the city's current approach to one encampment Some folks are saying that Allen Gardens Park has become unusable. And perhaps we need to define the word unusable. For who? For what? That's next. When was the last time you went on a big old walk? Over the weekend, I went on a huge stroll. We walked without needing to arrive in the spirit of aimlessness. I wore sensible shoes, but by the time we were done, my dogs were barking. So my husband and I do this every so often. We take the subway to Young and Bloor, and then we walk down Young. We headed to Young Dundas Square. We popped into the Imperial for a refreshment, as you do, and then continued along Dundas East, past Church, Ontario, Berkeley, Sherbourne, Parliament, all the way to Broadview, and then up to the Danforth, stopping at Riverdale Park for the most breathtaking view of the city as the sun set on another day. And there were people scattered on blankets, chatting, snapping pictures, and overall, I felt really proud to live in a city like Toronto, to share these moments of beauty and grit and connection and resilience. And then I hear the way some people talk about the city. And I'm like, do you even go here? I'm not trying to be gatekeepy at all, quite the opposite. I want everyone to see Toronto like I do and fall in love with a city like I have. But you're constantly hearing, the city's broken, our streets aren't safe, congestion is so bad, everyone's on drugs, there are needles everywhere, and tents, my God, the tents! So let me just tell you, after five hours of walking through the guts of the city, I saw one needle. And I'm not trying to say that because I only saw one needle that the city doesn't have a problem. But I find some of the narrative a bit alarmist. There were times on my stroll where I felt like I was on a movie set. That's how clean and quiet it was. We walked the length of Young at rush hour, and there wasn't any congestion. Certainly the bike lanes weren't slowing anyone down. I didn't feel scared or intimidated, and I saw some things, sure. 
But this is a city, a big city. And so I think I want to talk about encampments just briefly. And let me rephrase, I don't really want to talk about encampments. But we're in the midst of a by-election and affordability, housing, and public safety are all big issues. And there was an article in the Toronto Sun written by Brian Lilly. The story is about encampments in Allen Gardens. And the headline reads, quote, Tent encampments makes park at Allen Gardens unusable. And underneath, it says, quote, Instead of removing encampment, city has encouraged and helped people living in the park while ignoring local residents. So I'm very confused. If the city is, in fact, helping people living in the park, then they aren't ignoring local residents. Those folks living in tents are residents, too. One could argue, in a city that doesn't have enough affordable housing or shelter space right now, this park is being used in a very diplomatic and intentional way. And let me ask this. Why does it take a house to make someone a person. So I'm going to play you a longer clip from Brian Lilly, who wrote this piece. And then I got a few more things to say. For people that don't know the area, this is a city block park. Uh, it's a big, beautiful area. It's got uh, uh, greenhouses there for uh, you know tropical plants, uh, a conservatory there. It's the type of place that, you know, in better times, kids would go to for a school trip. And the city's in the middle of spending millions of dollars rehabilitating and restoring these greenhouses. And who would go there when that happened? So I, I don't live far from the park. Uh, it's somewhere I used to take my dog. I don't anymore all that often because of the state of the park. Uh, and it has been deteriorating. Um, Councillor Moyes keeps a, um, an encampment dashboard on his website. And uh, he counted about 27 tents back in January. I don't remember that many, but he says at one point there were 27 tents. Now I believe his official count of a week or so ago was 48. And it's open-air drug use. It's uh, you know a fire going nonstop. It's a whole lot of things that shouldn't be happening in a city park that make it unusable for, for seniors, for Parents with kids, for people like me with dogs, or you want to go throw the frisbee or football around with your friends, mm, you're not really going to have room to do that because there's going to be a tent in your way. Oh, no, there's a tent in my way. Doesn't it suck when you want to do something and there are other people there? What's more important? Having no place to throw a football? Or having no place to safely sleep? Toronto has approximately 1,600 parks, 12.7% of the total land area, meaning for every 1,000 people, there's approximately seven acres of land. You don't like encampments? They make you feel unsafe? Well, maybe we can shift the narrative. Think of this encampment as a protest. These people are protesting the fact that it takes an average of eight years to access a studio apartment for a senior, not to mention a family. And that's the least amount of time. Shelters are at capacity, and housing is not getting built. Affordable units are being bought up by developers and being scalped back to us like they're the live nation of housing. And so to the people complaining about this, don't you think these folks would rather be housed? 
and again with the alarm. The pearl clutching, open-air drug use, fires burning at all hours of the day. Well, the city did designate this location for First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities to hold sacred fires. The city staff have also set up porta-potties and extra garbage and recycling bins as part of Toronto's encampment outreach office to make sure things are running as smoothly as possible. And I think these are great moves by the city. These people don't have places to go, and so kicking them out isn't going to solve anything. But letting people have some stability, some space, and autonomy shouldn't be an affront to you. We live in a society. It's imperfect. It can be rough around the edges. We obviously have a lot of problems. But I just don't understand why folks are so keen on being the villain when they can support their neighbors' intents. And now, did you know that Nellie's Shelter in Toronto was founded 50 years ago by activists who recognized a big gap in the services offered to women? And through a more equitable lens, created a place that helps women and their children who are fleeing trauma, violence, and homelessness get help. Producer Glenn Bergonier has more. And the scary thing is, Danny, 50 years ago, homelessness was just as serious and much of an issue as it is today, with homeless encampments or even lack of available shelter space being a major problem. But did you know that 50 years ago, our shelter system was so bad that there were only 400 available beds for men and a measly 40 for women? And do you want to know what the scary thing was? That wasn't that long ago. In fact, this was only changed in the 1970s. And we know that homelessness, for whatever reason, is non-discriminatory when it comes to gender, so it's really a shame that our society took a long time to grasp this. But change did finally come when a group of female activists, including journalist, author, and activist June Callwood, decided to address the problem. June and the rest of her activist movement moved to address this abhorrent inequality in beds for women struggling with homelessness by finding Nellie's shelter back in 1973. The name Nellie Shelter was chosen to honor Nellie McClun, a proud feminist and pioneer in the women's suffrage movement. Nellie was integral in getting women the vote in 1916 back in Manitoba, two years before widespread acceptance in Canada. Nellie was also one of the five women who helped pave the way for women being accepted as qualified to serve in the Senate. Now, back to Nellie's shelter. The shelter started off relatively small, but was able to add 16 new beds dedicated solely to women. But it quickly became apparent that 16 additional beds was far from enough as many of the women who were reaching out to Nellie's were attempting to flee domestic violence instead of simply just dealing with teenage pregnancy or addiction, which many chalked up to how women became homeless inaccurately. So to better address this rising issue and to realize that their demographic base was much larger than previously understood, Nellie's shelter quickly expanded from 16 to 32 beds and shifted its main focus from being a homeless shelter to protecting women and children from domestic violence. 50 years down the line after its founding, Nellie's shelter continues to provide hope, dignity, and quite literally shelter to the over 15,000 women and children they have been able to serve since inception. Sisters are doing it for themselves. And you know, that song was written in 1985 by the Eurythmics, so Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart and Aretha Franklin. And originally, the Eurythmics intended to perform the song with Tina Turner. May she rest. Of course, this podcast 
is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Uh, in the meantime, share this podcast with two friends because then they'll tell two friends and then they'll tell two friends and so on and so on. Yeah, you get the idea. Till next time. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.